Hello, and welcome to The Heart of It, the podcast that gets to the heart of what we do and why we do it. I'm your host, writer and author Kate Sevilla, and each week I'll be taking a closer look at the working lives of passionate and creative people. This week, our guest is writer, TikTok star, and the editorial creative manager at Netflix UK, Gina Moore Barrett. Gina and I used to work together at BuzzFeed, and we're still good friends, so there is a lot of laughing in this episode. But it was such a joy to talk with Gina about what it's like to interview big stars like Tan France and Jennifer Saunders for her day job, and how she found her comedic voice on TikTok. We also had a really candid conversation about how grief and childhood trauma have informed her sense of humor, how satire is good for her mental health, and why she's over the idea of being a strong, independent woman and has decided that 2021 is all about asking for help. Plus, of course, we discuss what's ultimately at the heart of her work. Gina Moore Barrett, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you? I am fine. <laughs> I could the never 2021 be a, line. Yeah, right? Like, fine. I could never be a regular person and be like, yeah, good. I, like, I'm hitting, yeah, solid five. Five out of ten, max. Average. I feel like that is all we can strive for. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm just not finna lie anymore. I'm honestly just okay. It's as good as yeah. it's gonna get. I also love that you said five out of ten, considering your podcast is ten out of ten. So this is like a this is a um, you know, five out of ten. Wouldn't really recommend. <laughs> yeah. All I do is rate things now. I'm like mm. <laughs> life right neutral. now. <laughs> yeah, not great. It's average. <laughs> it's neutral. Um I mean, I usually do quite a lot of research for my guests, and today is no no different. But I have never had so much fun researching somebody <laughs> because there's just so much stuff that you do. Like, I've been watching YouTube videos. I was listening to your podcast. I downloaded TikTok. <laughs> oh, my. I'm honored. And and welcome, Kate. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. I felt like a like a, like a hundred-year-old woman just being like, what is this? Like, searching, where is she? Where's Gina? And then I, and then I, <laughs> and then I found you. Um, you do so many things. So you work at Netflix in the UK. You are editorial creative manager there, um, where you're a, a presenter for them, an interviewer for them, and also a podcast host. Mm-hmm. But then you also have a successful writing career, you have a big social media presence, specifically on TikTok at the moment. Are you energized by doing so many different things? Or are you just kind of like, what am I doing now? That is such a good question. Um, you know, sometimes I think, Gina Moore, what, how many more? And I have to say, Gina, I have to call myself by my full name. I have to say, yeah. Gina Moore, why are you doing so many things? Bearing in mind, my job is pretty much on social media. There's no need for me to be opening all these social media pages. No one asked me to make a TikTok. <laughs> and yet here I am. No one asked me to have a lipstick Instagram. And yet some reason, I have one of those. It's strange. I mean, I, I really like making content. I'm really passionate about creating content. And I think it's really fun. And so even though my job is around creating content for companies or like um, the way that we talk about things on the internet, and it's very much about internet culture, I also like to be a part of that culture too. And so that's why I'm just all over the place. But I promised myself I wouldn't make another social media account. I can't do it. I have to stop (laughs) now. I have to. No, but people, I mean, you say that, but it's not like no one's following you on these either. It's like, okay, no one asked. But here we are, <laughs> here consuming we are. all of it. Here we are. That's very true. Um, 
But I love talking to people who are, as you say, content creators and and have a big audience, but then also have a day job. Mm -hmm. Because I feel like so often you only hear from people. And I realized I was like, oh, my God, I'm even guilty of this on this podcast, even though I myself have had a day job for a very long time. It's only recently that I've gone freelance. But somebody asked me the other day, they were like, do you think that being freelance or having a day job like that is based on a personality type? Like Mm. you're either a freelancer or you have a day job. And I was like, I don't know, because I've been both. And I feel like it's I feel like it's different, but I was really curious to see kind of what you thought about that. Do you think that it's kind of like an either or thing or a personality type seeing as you because you've done both in your career? Yeah, I have. And I've kind of always been doing something on the side whilst doing things. You know, it, it, even though I'm a terrible multitasker, so I'm not really sure why I put myself <laughs> in that position. <laughs> but um, I'm not famed for that. But I've always been interested in more than one thing. And so, you know, whilst I've, I, to me, at this moment in time, it's really important for me to like have that that day job secure, like I really love my job. Um, but there are so many other things that I just love doing as well that I just find really fun. And my thing is at this point, I'm starting to now evaluate, I suppose for this generation of like multi-hyphen creatives where like everybody is five things at once, mm-hmm. I'm like, you know, wouldn't it have been nice to have just like kept one as a hobby and not made it about me having as many <laughs> followers as possible or like making my... You know, I'm a bit tired, but I think maybe it is a kind of personality thing, or maybe it's just the generation. I think I know so many people like myself, like you, who do tons of stuff yeah. on the top of the day job, you know? I know. I, I had never been asked that before. And when I was trying to answer, I was like, <laughs> I literally was like, depends on the money. Yeah. I mean, it, <laughs> you know what, Kate? Thank you for being honest, because I should have just said that. It's the check. <laughs> it's the check. Why am I lying? I I'm follow like, the cash. Yeah. I'm like, oh, yeah. I mean, I guess. No, it's the money. <laughs> it's the money <laughs> Honestly, I I mean, I love that we're already talking about money because, I mean, my relationship with money is complicated and I talk about it in therapy now probably every week. That's like the thing I'm trying to to unpick mm-hmm. um, because it's scary to be freelance, you yes, know, like that's a that's a scary place to be. And I like the security of having a full time job. Me but me personally, I've been through way too many messed up situations now as an employee mm-hmm. to... I think hold down to be able to go into an office whenever we can do that again, but to be able to to do that again, I don't know. So I think it's like this. I think it ma- it depends on what your circumstances are. Yeah, I think you're. Ab- yeah, that is so 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 true. And that's actually part of the reason why when I first went freelance after BuzzFeed, I was absolutely petrified because money is a huge point of uh, concern and contention for me as well. And there is no. F- nothing to fall back on you know there's just there's absolutely nothing and so like even when I went freelance I didn't ever really go freelance because I was always permalancing so yeah. I wasn't doing which feels off, so much better which exactly right and so that in itself felt like a level of security because at the time I was working at the BBC so I was like um going to the BBC four days a week and I was doing all those other things and always balancing I think I've always throughout my career from having a full-time job to freelance have been balancing this level of doing things permanently I I still don't know what it's like to be fully fully 
freelance. It's scary. I really rate people that can do it. And day to day, they may not know what their day looks like. Yeah, for sure. And those who can do it and like live by themselves or don't have like a romantic partner or a dual uh, yeah. income coming into their house. Like I, I don't think I could do it. Yeah. me. No, I me know neither. I couldn't do it. I would just... <laughs> I would be way too scared all the time. And I, you know, I, I like the deli snacks at Marks and Spencer and those, those aren't cheap. So yeah, exactly. You know. And you deserve them. We both do. Thank you. We both, we, we deserve those deli snacks. We do. Three for seven pounds. It's a great deal. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, before you mentioned that you were kind of permalancing before you started a, a permanent full-time job. For people who don't know, what does that kind of mean? Um, okay, I'm going to attempt to explain this to the best of my ability, but essentially it's when you are not technically a full-time employee of a company, but you are kind of contracted into work there for a period of time, right? So like yeah. when I was at the BBC, I was quote-unquote permalance because I acted like a full-time person. The only difference was, I guess, the holiday pay? Like, <laughs> no offense <laughs> Uh, yeah. No, but and, what's and, so interesting you know. is that, like, it's <laughs> that's a huge thing, especially mm. at tech companies. Mm. For me, permalancing, I was thinking about. It, I was like, it sounds to me, and when I've done it, it feels like regular money, but with a little bit more freedom. <laughs> no, that you know what that is actually what it is. I, I, and I honestly, I kind of recommend permalancing for those yeah. who want the freedom. Because for me, having left not just like a BuzzFeed, but having left BuzzFeed, um, <laughs> left my last company, um, I had kind of like developed this fear of being tied down to a company. Mm. And so I did want the security of a permanent job, but I wanted to have a period of time where I could do what I wanted. So if somebody said, can you write this for us? Do you want to come and go on this panel? Do you want to go on this? Well, I could just be like, yes, yes, yes. Because I am Gina Moore Barrett. I'm not Gina Moore Barrett who works at this place, you know? Um, and yes. so that was a massive benefit of permalancing for me. If any, and any creatives who also are looking for that kind of outlook or like are looking for that kind of freedom, I'd recommend it. Yeah, because it's important. It's having that distinction, particularly when you are passionate about what it is that you're doing. And it's not like I'm a brand, but it's like I am the thing. Yeah, <laughs> You're paying for my expertise, um, my sense of humor, my writing, me. And I want to have full ownership over that rather than you exploiting that or suffocating that. Mm -hmm. And some companies are wonderful and very respectful of side hustles, freelancing, mm -hmm. and other places are not. And I think that that has to be a really informed choice and decision that you make in your career to kind of know and respect that, which um, you clearly, you're just nailing it. You're fine. You know. Thank you. <laughs> you're like, duh. <laughs> That's what I just said. Uh, <laughs> um, so as I mentioned before, you host a podcast for Netflix called 10 out of 10 would recommend mm -hmm. that you host with Talani from the receipts podcast. Mm -hmm. Who I also worked with at Buzzfeed. We all just, <laughs> we all just stemmed. We stemmed from Buzzfeed. Mm -hmm. um, but as part of your job, you also hosted a, and still host, a, a video series where you it's called Netflix Nine, mm -hmm. where you ask these pretty famous people nine questions, mm -hmm. um, generally kind of centered around their their Netflix special. But the people that you've interviewed, like <laughs> I was going through YouTube and I was like, all right, uh, Tan and Bobby from Queer Eye, yeah. uh, Mo Gilligan, 
Jennifer Saunders, Catherine Ryan, Charlie Brooker, and yeah. then Charles and Diana from The Crown. Yeah. Um, do you get nervous in these interviews? Because you come across so calm and engaging and at ease with them to the point where sometimes they even like touch your hands and I immediately was like what if her hands are sweaty like because my hands get so my hands are sweaty now and I'm just talking to you um like and I know you you know so how like how do you what is your approach for these interviews do you get nervous um yeah I'm always shitting myself always yeah. I'm constantly oh my word constantly shitting myself and the thing is, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to make this deeper than it has to be, but I have always been used to putting on a persona to make people like me and to make me see, like appear more um, engaging and friendly and that like and not intimidating and all those other things. I, I'm very used to doing that. And so when I am presented, even though I'm scared, I'm like, okay, I'm going to put on what I know. Like, it's very hard to dislike the version of Gina that I'm going to give to these people. And so that's what I'm like, nine out of 10 people will like this version of me. Right. So that's kind of what I do, but I'm, I'm petrified. I just attempt to, to not make it come across on camera, but I can even see, I remember when I watched, it's so interesting watching the first uh, Netflix nine interview that I did because I can see how scared I was. I was so nervous and like Tan was so nice to me. Like, cause it was my that first was one. That was your first one with yeah, Tan France. Yeah. Oh, geez. I know. And he was so nice and he, and he like knew how scared I was and he was being so nice about it. And, um, yeah, now that I watched that, I'm like, bloody hell, you're petrified. I was like tripping over my words and things like that. But as long as it doesn't come across, I'm doing a good job, I guess. But I'm no, it does not come across that way at all. <laughs> Do you have like a tactic to calm yourself down at all when you go into these things? Because I would probably just kind of have diarrhea and then... <laughs> And sometimes, you know what I mean? Sometimes you've got to do those nervous things. Mm, journalists uh, know. They yeah, know. Yeah, right? Um, my tactic is to attempt to make them laugh in the first mm. question. If I can get a laugh out, then I'm like, okay. Or I'll try and have a little conversation with people. This is with actually, because I love interviewing people, but I have yeah. to know that they like feel somewhat comfortable with me so I can make the jokes that I have planned later. So <laughs> if I have a conversation with them before, and I'm like, okay, I feel as though this will be fine. Then yeah. I'll start seeding out the jokes I'll be a little bit more playful if I know that I'm not going to get that then I'm just like okay let's play a little straighter so you kind of have to feel it out within the first in the first like 10 seconds of the interview yeah how has that been like because I mean obviously you've done a ton of these in person mm. and then I think when uh, you did the crown one you guys were <laughs> extremely social distanced like yards away <laughs> <laughs> across yeah. across a very large fancy studio but then how does how is that translated for you doing things then remotely do, do you feel like you're you're missing something or do you feel like it translates well for you um well the main thing i'm missing is good internet to be honest kate because uh, my wife is <laughs> fucking trash uh so that's the biggest thing that's the answer to that mm, okay. um you know, I find most things are better in real life, aren't they really? Like, um, I mean, I'm really missing just having that. I think there's more, there's more of a connection being in a room with, with people. But I mean, I found that the ones that I've done on like, despite my terrible internet have actually been fine. And sometimes yeah. people feel more comfortable when they're doing interviews in their home and not mm. with like tons of cameras around them and having been styled in a certain way where they feel like it's a really serious interview because I can't stress this enough. It is not a serious interview. I'm literally... I'm like a fan. I'm fangirling these people essentially because I watch their shows and I'm. Which I is why it's so good. Yeah, that's pretty much it. I'm like, please be my best friend, and then I call them my best friend on social media, and then that's it. 
you know, that's my job done. No, but I think you do such an amazing job with that. I don't, I wouldn't be able to be nearly as charming um, and get these people to then be like, we should get her to be the, the sixth member of Queer Eye. Like, like they suggested for you. I was so jealous. Still so waiting jealous. on that invite though. How's it gone? You know, you know, we'll, we'll call them. We'll have a word. Um, what I have found so interesting to kind of watch over your career is I feel like this past year, you have really found your comedic voice and it has found a really wonderful home on TikTok. You're basically famous on TikTok. Uh, so I can you tell us like what happened? <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know where to start with this because it's absolutely ridiculous. It was a joke at first, right? It was a joke. I kind of was like using it ironically but you know when you start using things ironically like phrases and words and then they actually become part of your regular vernacular and vocabulary that is what happened to me with TikTok I was like on it like oh ha ha I'm on TikTok like aren't I a cliche um <laughs> lockdown and then lockdown kind of eased and loads of people went off of TikTok and I just stayed writing <laughs> like skits and making actual comedy videos and I was like yeah, maybe I am actually a TikToker now, but um, I really love it. It's really fun. And, you know, I'd always, 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 even when I was like writing more often, there was such a push and pull between me writing like the more serious stuff, which I, I feel genuine passion for, but writing the funny stuff. And I know that it doesn't have to be either or, but like, I had such a draw to wanting to be a, a comedy writer, but it's so, so hard to do that I just honestly couldn't be bothered to like put the effort <laughs> in to do it and that's just me being frank but I, I, what I like about TikTok is that it allows for those those dreams that have died in the past to come back so now I can kind of flex that muscle and um yeah do some comedy stuff over there instead I think sometimes when you go into jobs where you kind of have to perform being paid by a company to they, they're like okay now we need some jokes for social media <laughs> be funny <laughs> Do you think that maybe that kind of helped you flex that that muscle? And then by the time kind of lockdown and and TikTok, everything, all those stars aligned that you were like, oh, you know what? I know how to do this and I can do this for myself. You know what? I really do think so. I think that um, because everything I've done in the last like five or six uh, years of my career has been looking at jokes on the internet, essentially, like a large part of it has been looking at people making jokes on the internet. And so I'm really well versed in it. And so, yeah, mm -hmm. I, th I think that it, it meant that I kind of knew what could and couldn't work and what people liked and what kind of jokes people like it, from the most basic to the most highbrow. I'm not making any highbrow jokes. I'll just be honest right there. If you do follow me, just know that it's not it's not highbrow. But yeah, it's definitely helped. It's definitely helped. I had no idea how much of an education that I was getting, to be honest, at BuzzFeed when it came to the internet. Like, yeah. I, it's so weird. I, th I thought everybody was like this, but I genuinely feel as though I know it inside out. Like I, I know where to find all the things that I need. And it's made me like, I don't even know. I feel like I have this weird, I'm like bilingual, but in the internet. It's strange. Yes. No, absolutely. I mean, you say on your website, you've written over like 900 posts yeah. while you were at BuzzFeed. And at the beginning of our conversation, you said something really interesting. You said that you want to be part of internet culture, but then also be able to apply that um, in a professional way for, for work and consulting with companies and everything else. Mm -hmm. And I think that my first thought was, well, that actually makes you so much better at 
that because yeah. it's not something that you can just kind of dip in and out of. I mean, I've completely fallen off. <laughs> I barely, I don't know what anything is anymore. I had to download TikTok just to like watch your videos. I was like, how do I find it? You know, it, it, it is a it is a really hard thing actually to stay on top of what people are doing on the internet and you kind of have this i think encyclopedic knowledge now of not only kind of the internet of days the days of yore but also you know now also i'm going to pick you up on something that you just said because you said what i do it's it's not it's not highbrow at all but Mm. actually (laughs) i knew you were gonna do this (laughs) i'm gonna challenge you on that I'm going to challenge you on this because I, as I said, I've spent like all day on your TikTok Um, (laughs) and I was like scrolling through and looking, you know, and I was like, you know, pissing myself laughing. And then you did this one video where you talk about in a very lighthearted fashion about um, your childhood trauma. (laughs) (laughs) We're being serious, Gina. Serious. No laughing. (laughs) I'm so sorry. Go on, go on. Your childhood trauma, pretend we're on radio for it, your childhood trauma, and you lost your dad, your aunt, and then a series of other family members, and then I think most recently a friend, all to cancer. Yeah. And I laughed watching it, just as with your reaction, (laughs) I laughed watching it. But in the video, you mentioned, like, my friends pick up on the fact that I make a lot of jokes about death. Yeah. And this is why <laughs> this is just my my childhood trauma with all of this death. And like, firstly, my God, I'm so sorry that you've had to go through all of that because I knew, but I didn't know. Yeah. And it kind of like broke my heart into a thousand little pieces. And then I started laughing again. So it was a real roller coaster, <laughs> this video. <laughs> but how do you think that <laughs> your childhood trauma <laughs> of experiencing so much death Mm -hmm. how do you think that that has kind of informed your sense of humor and therefore your writing oh I think that my my sense of humor is quite I wouldn't even say dark because I feel like when people say they have dark you know what sometimes men say they have a dark sense of humor and actually they're just racist like I don't want (laughs) (laughs) it's not that kind of dark yes I do know you know you know you know I know um uh, but I do like to, so many bad things have happened, to be frank, that it's like, you you just have to laugh. You just have to laugh. I kind of just think at this point, oh, of course, of course. Yeah, you know, why not? Um, most recently, just to dredge up even more trauma, most recently my mum got COVID and my mum is my only family member in London and we're incredibly close. And um, she got covid on the last day, oh, I can't get over this. Boris said I need to talk. On the last day of her, she's a teacher of term with eight other teachers. And she was like the only one that ended up in hospital. Like, and she oh, and on Christmas Day, we couldn't even be on the set in the same room. Like all this. I saw your video because you did you did a TikTok about exactly. again another video about the trauma. <laughs> no, but Again, like it was the realities of living in a in a COVID positive household. Yes. <laughs> it's like this spot that you talk to your mom like through a door on Christmas yeah. Day, which again broke my heart into a million pieces, and then I was laughing again. Yeah, but that's terrible. Yeah, it it was terrible, and it's so difficult for me when I'm in terrible moments to really. It's like, I don't know whether this is a trauma response, but I just, I don't even, ha- I have to just see how hilarious this is. It's like I step outside of my body and I'm like, 
this is ridiculous. There is no way that on Christmas day, I'm speaking to my mum through a tiny slit in the door and <laughs> eating my Christmas dinner outside of her, like her closed door because she's got COVID. Like what? <laughs> it was just ridiculous. It's so fucked up. <laughs> it's so fucked up. And I'm like, this is going to make a fucking great TikTok in a couple of weeks when she's better. And I did it. So um, yeah, it's definitely in- informed my humour because I have to just take the piss. But it's always to explore those things that have happened. Like the undercurrent of it is that I'm trying to better understand how these things have infe- affected and impacted me, right? And I'm trying to use it as a coping mechanism for those things that at the time I didn't really have like the bandwidth like to deal with. And only now looking back, can I think, actually it is really fucked up that before the age of like, 20 or like 22 I'd been to 10 funerals you know like that is fucked and you know actually it is fucked up that I had like one of the worst Christmases ever because I genuinely thought I could lose my mum and not have any like be parentless like that's fucked up but in a playful way and also because like people feel less sorry for you when you make a joke out of it so I'm like yeah go on have a little laugh and because when people are too earnest I'm a bit like oh that makes me feel very uncomfortable, you know? Like, yeah, you're like, I want you to laugh. Yeah. Have a little cry and then laugh again. Exactly. I love a good bit of a trauma also, sandwich. You yeah, know. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, How so is yeah. your mom now? She's doing a lot better. She's, um, some of the effects are like a lot longer term. I think she may have yeah, long, long COVID. COVID. Oh, um, so please, anyone listening, be careful. It's not a joke. Um, but she's doing a lot better than she was. And I'm just so, so thankful. I remember I was like to talking up to God and I was like, listen, mate, don't you fucking dare. Uh, you've yeah. seen the TikToks. I've have we enough. not been through enough? Have we not been through enough? Um, but he answered the prayer and she's good. So good. Okay. Well, thanks God for that one, that yeah, one nice that thing. One thing. <laughs> Um, along the same lines, because I, I feel like there is this real kind of intersection between having a platform, using humor, and also processing a lot of stuff. Yeah. Like, the last 12 months have been extremely heavy, and there's been so much death and grief. Yeah. And one of our previous guests, Karen Arthur, described it as racial trauma and racial weathering. Mm. Has having a platform like TikTok where you can make satirical videos about the UK government and racism mm-hmm. and COVID. Like, do you feel like that has helped your mental health overall? Do you feel like you're still in the process of processing everything? Or how does that kind of work with you? Yeah, um, I'm still in the process of like thinking it all through because I'm the sort of person who something bad will happen in eight to 12 business days is when I'll get the emotion from the terrible thing that happened. But I have found it incredibly cathartic, to be honest, to have a platform to do that. And it's just so much easier and better than Twitter. (laughs) That's the thing, like I... I've made like the video that I made about Dominic Cummings and even about Boris saying, you know, stay at home, don't stay at home, go blah, blah, blah. Or the one where it was the headline of uh, Boris says, the UK, not a racist country. Yes, yes. I would never have made those jokes on Twitter. I would never have tweeted those things, ever, Hmm. ever. Well, because then you get responses from a bunch of men with a dark sense of humor. Exactly. Just racists. And so it's been really nice to like actually be able to say something and stand for something on a platform. I haven't really been able to do that 
on any platform other than TikTok. And to be able to do it in a satirical way is is very true to the way that I am. So mm. it's, yeah, as I said, incredibly cathartic for me. It's been really, really nice. Really nice. Good. I'm glad. I'm glad that you have something like that because I think so often people don't kind of find their outlet. Yeah. You know, like they just, they can just kind of keep it all in and being able to find the right place at the right time where you can say things the way that you actually want to mm-hmm. is super important. Um, so in, in 2019, you were on Forbes's 30 Under 30 <laughs> for media yeah. and marketing in Europe list. Correct. And then in, in 2018, you were the recipient of the Roxanne Gay Fellowship for a woman of color writing fiction with Jack Jones Literary Art. Yes. When I think of winning something or being the recipient of something like that, I think I would maybe die from the pressure of it. Yes. <laughs> what What was the experience of, let, let's take the, the Roxanne Gay Fellowship. What was that experience like for you? Oh, wow. Gosh. It was so amazing. Oh, man. Oh, I just remember that day. I was thinking about it just the other day. The day that I got the email to say that I had actually got that fellowship, ah, oh, I was in such a terrible place. I I was just not loving what I was doing. And like, I was I was freelance but I was, and I was working, but I wasn't loving what I was doing at the time. And mm. um, I'd kind of really hinged, don't ever do this. I don't recommend anyone doing this, hinging your hope on one thing, which was me getting this writing thing. Ugh. Um, <laughs> terrible idea. But I'd started writing the the book and in fact started writing my application in my last like couple of weeks when I was at BuzzFeed. So it was like mm-hmm. the transitionary periods. Like I was like, okay, this is what I want to focus my attention on for now. So I'd put a lot into it. So the novel that I applied with, I'd actually applied with with like a one pager for the scheme right now. I think it's with, is it Penguin? One of the publishing mm-hmm. houses. And I did not get that. Uh, and so this came about, this opportunity. I don't even know who tweeted it or anything like that. But I'd seen a couple of people who had gone on it last year. And it looked really cool. And so you had to apply with 20 pages of a book. Mm. And like a page that was explaining what it was and all these kind of things. And so I was like, okay, I'm just going to work on writing this 20 pages. And if I don't get it, fine. But at least I'll have those words so I can write a book. And if I do get it, great, we'll write a book. Lovely. <laughs> um, the spoiler to this story is that I have not finished this book, but I wasn't. <laughs> that doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. You still got the fellowship. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Uh, my poor agent is like, please, sis, I'm begging you. But um, yeah, so at the time, that's what I applied with. And oh man, when I got that email, I could not believe it, Kate. I couldn't believe it. I actually could not believe it. So I really didn't think I was going to get it. I really didn't think I was going to get it. So many people applied. And of my cohort, I think there were 21 of us. I was the only person from the UK. I think there were only wow. two of us that weren't from, from the US. Oh, it was just so great. So then what does it mean? Like what did, because you had to like travel, like where, like what do you do? Yeah, I went to New Mexico for two weeks and it was essentially like this, uh, it was a writing retreat, but it was filled with lectures essentially from different people so we had lots of classes from like pitching things and like how to write poetry and like uh, all this other wow. stuff and everything was oh it was it was such an intense experience it was really tough yeah it was all about writing honing your craft the publishing industry all this other stuff and by the end the intention was like to help everybody get an agent and eventually get published but i'd never been 
I, I didn't even know I could be a writer in that respect. I didn't know I could be a fiction writer. I didn't think I could do it. I really didn't. I really, really, really did not think I could do it. Um, it was. It felt like a miracle. It really did. It sounds like the opposite of imposter syndrome. It sounds like you were given like this huge sort of, um, no, excuse me, Gina, you can do this. <laughs> yeah. But imagine that was Roxanne Gay's voice. Yeah, <laughs> it was. Saying. It was unbelievable. How is writing for you now? So you mentioned you have an agent. Mm, yes. Poor woman. <laughs> a very patient agent who is waiting. Um, do you feel like you're going to carry on with, with the same project? Do you, or do you feel like there's something else in you? Because I think you had the same kind of idea or kind of foundation for, for a story for a long time. Yeah. Has that changed and evolved? Has that Because it can feel, uh, there, there can be a lot of pressure to kind of finish something that you've been talking about for a long time. And that, yeah. if you do change your mind, that can be scary. Yeah, that's very true. Um, I really want to finish it. I refuse to start anything else until I've finished it. Because I really, really do. I mean, it's funny that I say I really want to write the book, given that I have not done that. But I do really want to Those are two different things. Yeah, true. True. Um, I do really want to tell the story. And there's nothing, there's no other subject that, that I am as passionate about, to be honest. Uh, and I'm sure I could find other things, but not until I've done this. I just owe it to myself and to like the story and to hopefully the people that I would reach. But I'm also kind of of the opinion now where I'm like, I believe that it will get done, but I just have to, it will get done when it gets done. And I think that when it gets done, it will be good. But yes. I, I, that's all I've got right now. <laughs> all I've got. No, I think the the tiny bit of knowledge that I have about writing a book and I wrote something nonfiction in business, which is completely different <laughs> to what you're writing. But I think Still with hard. creativity in general is that will get done when it should be finished. Yeah. Like you're doing so many things and yeah. gaining knowledge and kind of flexing your craft in, in different ways that will all inform this book so maybe you know 2018 2019 gina wasn't wasn't the one to finish this because she wasn't supposed to be maybe it'll be 2022 gina because you had to experience x y and z to mm. to get there i love that for me Kate, tell that because... to your agent yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, look i feel like this is a 2022 gina that's gonna finish yeah. this for you <laughs> yeah i actually love that because that yeah that gives me the excuse to be like mm, you're right maybe this is just not this is not me who needs to it's finish not, this <laughs> Not the po- I'm not at the part in the journey yet. Sorry. Yeah. It's just not going to happen. Um, this year, you bought a house. I did. But you didn't buy just any house, did you? <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to tell us about your house? <laughs> Look, I didn't think that it would need as much renovating as it needs. Okay, I thought that I was buying. I was like, oh, great deal. Like, lovely. Um, got the survey, everything. Whole place needed rewiring, kitchen needed pulling out, bathroom needed pulling out, flooring needed doing everything. And so I'm basically starting from the from scratch. Yeah, look, not been great, I'll be honest. Not my best. <laughs> uh, that one's probably a four out of 10, maybe even a three. But okay. we are where we are. We are where we are. That, also, again, this is going to make such a good TikTok once I'm through this terrible period. So, <laughs> Well, you've already started. Yeah. You've already started. I've seen little glimpses. Um, some of the videos that you just sent me were were pretty terrifying. Of, <laughs> yes. Just like floorboards and like I I don't even know what. Um, but what like what has the process 
of like one realizing, okay, wonderful, I've bought a home, mm-hmm. but also I need to make it a home. What like what has that process been like for you? Because I'm scared shitless of DIY mm-hmm. and I get very nervous if I go into like a home base. I'm like, I don't know what any of these things are. What has that process been like for you? <sighs> I don't want to be negative, but I do want to be real. Um, I haven't loved it. I was thinking yeah. the other day, it's so interesting how there are all these big experiences that other people seem to be loving, like going to university and buying a house and doing up a house that they like love. And I am like, this was terrible. Why is everyone saying it's great? (laughs) Um, Yeah, it's been really, really difficult. And like, not to to harp on on the old dead dad stuff, but like, it has really brought to the fore that absence. That's the thing about losing a parent when you're a child is that you don't actually, you kind of like learn Mm. how much you've, you you're missing and how much you've lost with like different steps of the way in your journey as you grow up right and so there are small things like uh my friend's dad is a painter and so could like paint her house for her and stuff and I'm like I just it would be really great if I had a dad who could just like do little bits of DIY for me right and so I don't yeah. have to pick them up myself and like when my mum was sick as well I was doing things completely on my own um and I don't have a partner um, because I'm independent lady, but also because <laughs> we don't even need to go to my dating life. But anyway, um, yeah. and so the absence of just like anyone, anyone who could just help me or have friends that could help me or do that stuff. Yeah. It's been really difficult. And I like being independent, but like at what cost? It's really actually hurt my mental health to go into uh, to learn about the inherent sexism also that you encounter in these scenarios. Right. When you speak to tradesmen who yeah. can smell on you, your like how, how juvenile you are in the game. Right. Like I know yeah. absolutely fucking nothing about houses, DIY, different paints that this, that I didn't know what rewiring even was until I got no. served a four grand bill. For I don't it. even know what you said. Yeah, exactly. exactly <laughs> right. Um, and so, oh, so much of it is learning the hard way. Um, all learning is good learning, but yeah, it's been a really tough process. And I was brought up by women. I I worked predominantly with women in my last job. I, all my best friends are women. I'm not used to men telling me what to do, uh, charge me money, talking to me as if I don't know. Like, no offense. I'm not used to that. And so when I'm like, okay, so can you do it? And they're talking to me like I'm an idiot or worse yet, not talking to me, talking to each other, despite me paying the money. I could, get, I, could, I could kill a bitch. I would get so pissed off. <laughs> oh, no, it ain't for me, Kate. It ain't for me. Can't wait till it's finished. Can't wait. <laughs> in short, in zero short. out of 10. Yeah, in short, not, zero out of would 10. Would not recommend. No. And I think that this, this transitions beautifully into my next question for you because you, again, was on your TikTok all day. Okay. And you were saying, my vibe for 2021 <laughs> is not independent woman, it's baby. <laughs> Explain for to our listeners what you mean by baby. Okay, thank you for this. is super important, so I'm really glad you brought this up. Um, so, baby, uh, for me at the very least, is allowing people to help you, right? Accepting help and accepting that you don't have to be the person who has who like has it all under control all the time, much like a drooling baby who just needs somebody to mop up, you know, the spittle from their cheek and their chin. 
here's the thing. I remember I was delivered like 40 packs of flooring. This is what I said in the video. I was delivered 40 packs of heavy wood flooring. Uh, the man who delivered it just left it at the front, not even at my door, at the gate. Uh, and was like, all right, see you then. And um, as I carried each heavy box, and I could only do it one at a time uh, because they were so heavy. As I carried each heavy box by myself in the freezing cold, I thought to myself, no, that's it. I'm never... <laughs> Ever. No. no, I don't want to appear, appear capable anymore. I'm done because I, this is such, it felt like it was a microcosm of how I've conducted myself in my life because I don't ask for help ever. Mm. I don't ask for help. It's not, it's not natural to me to, to, to say I'll get someone else to, to do it for me or I'll, I, and not like me relying solely on people, but I just don't ever extend that word out or allow people to help me. And I really, really this year want to yeah, embrace that like more vulnerable side of me that it just accepts that I can't do it all. And the house luckily has brought me to such a place where I'm like, I'm not going to make it out alive if I don't ask people for help. Say, is that place <laughs> on your knees begging for help? <laughs> Uh, it is, it is. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, I'm definitely, I'm baby for 2021. Or at least I'm trying, I'm trying to be baby. I love that. And I literally wrote down delegating, asking for help and yes. actually taking it. Yes. Um, so, Gina, the title of this podcast is The Heart of It. And so basically, I'm trying to get to the the meat of what it is that somebody does. And with you, you do so many things so well. And I think earlier in our chat, you mentioned that uh, comedy writing is hard and that you do both. You do both feature writing and more serious stuff. You've written some beautiful essays about your father, about, you know, growing up with money troubles and how mm. that kind of informs your relationship with money. And he writes satire and obviously you do these videos. And also, Side note, you also have a, a beauty Instagram account <laughs> where you talk about makeup and, and lipstick in a very funny, uh, informed way. Um, you do a lot of stuff. And I'm really excited to ask you, like, what is at the heart of what it is that you do? What's that common thread throughout all these different projects? Because there is one. There's definitely one. Um, I think... Hmm. I I really 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 like to make people feel something when it comes to what I do, right? And so my favorite thing about making satirical videos or writing satire is if I can make people laugh. And that's my favorite thing to do in real life. Even when I'm chatting to you, like every laugh you give me is it fuels me. Like I I love it. I genuinely love making people laugh. I love seeing people be happy around me and like that something mm. that I said made them experience joy but at the same time and maybe that is like the juxtaposition of the kind of stuff that I talk about and the way that I talk about such sad stuff is that I do also want to make people cry and feel like strong emotion that isn't always positive right um, mm. and like appeal to things that are more of a taboo subject to speak about. And I think that's why I speak about death a lot because it's a really lonely experience and yeah. people are uncomfortable about it. And when I wrote the essay um, about my dad, I think I wrote that in 2016. 
Mm. I still, to this day, I think I got one like last month, get messages, emails from people who find me on Instagram, on LinkedIn, on Facebook, on God, all over the place saying that the the essay that I wrote about losing a parent when you're a child, it resonated with them so much. They like, and then they share their stories with me about when they lost a parent when they were three or when they were seven or when they were five. And it's, those are the two like polar opposites of the things that really drive me when I create content is like, either I really want to make people laugh and I really, really want to go for it, like go for the juggler, make them be like, oh my gosh, Gina's really funny. So that makes me feel really happy. Or I want to make them cry in a way that makes them feel seen and heard in a way that they haven't necessarily felt before. I think that is, yeah, I think that's at the heart of what I do for sure. That was a fantastic answer. I, for, I, do you know what? Just when you were talking, I was like, have you ever considered doing stand-up comedy? I have, but I think I'd be bad. <laughs> I don't think I, I can't do the stand-up. I think the stand-up comedy people are different. Like, mm. it takes a certain kind of person. And I don't think just because I am a performer in the way that I speak... I don't think that that necessarily would make me good at stand-up comedy. That's my tea. Like, I feel like maybe if I was like super overconfident, I would feel like I would be really great at stand-up comedy. But I think it's it's really, really difficult. And just because you're funny in like everyday life doesn't mean that you'd be good in a stand-up comedy set. That's the, that's the tea on that, I think. Hmm. I disagree with you. <laughs> okay, no, I, I appreciate that. Honestly, that's fine. <laughs> yeah. No, I think that you would be really good at it. I think because the world of comedy has evolved. And when I think about like Hannah Gatsby and the way that she does stand up is storytelling, but it's that's really true. funny, but that's it's also true. really kind of sad and traumatic. You see what I'm going with this? Yeah. It can be both. And I feel like you would be very natural at that. Maybe I should. Sometimes I watch my TikToks and I think, why do I speak like I'm doing a stand-up comedy set? You won't because be able to unsee this now, Kate. You, like, if you haven't thought this already, I sound like I'm doing stand-up. When I, and I always go, yeah, so, um, yeah, and I was doing that. And I'm like, why am I talking like that? I don't know where. Because it's in there. <laughs> it's because you know. I like, I was going to ask you, like, what's next for Gina? And then I was like, I'm going to tell you what's next. <laughs> So beyond your uh, your budding stand up career and this novel, what do you feel like is next for you? What's 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 the next kind of thing? What do you feel? Are you even able to think that this year? Like, why am I asking you your future plans? Everything's so hard. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, it's absolutely fine. You know, you're right. I haven't thought about it. Everything is so hard. I'm trying to. This sounds really cliche, but I am trying to like live in now and where we are now. Yeah. It is really difficult to look ahead because we just don't know what's going to happen but I'm trying to make the most of where things are at the moment um you know get that bloody house finished maybe finish my book please god no not maybe god Julia if you hear this I mean yes definitely finish my book (laughs) (laughs) should get it done yeah I'm gonna I'm gonna get it done um and just like keep keep having fun time on the internet until it's not fun anymore you know and then I'll fade into obscurity Perfect. Like all internet stars do eventually. Yeah. Um, Gina, where can our listeners find you on the internet? 
Um, so you can find me at Smile Gina. Uh, that's spelled G-E-N-A. Very um, important. Very G-E-N-A. important. It's G-E-N-A, not with an I. That's Gina. Um, <laughs> and that's on Twitter, on Instagram, on, Instagram, on TikTok. Uh, if you want, if you're interested in lipstick, I have a lipstick Instagram and that's Pout Gina. Um, yeah. And if you want to listen to the podcast I'm on, it's called 10 Out of 10 Would Recommend. I would recommend that. But also, Ooh. maybe that's rude for me to recommend that on your podcast. My bad. Sorry, Kate. <laughs> no, I, I, it is 10 out of 10 recommend just to hear Talani say to Michael McIntyre that he's, <laughs> he's her favorite white man comedian. So just for that bit alone in and the first episode. That was the episode, first episode. <laughs> just, you know, start as you mean to go on. It's yeah, beautiful. It's great. Um, <laughs> Gina, thank you so much for joining us and for being so, so honest and wonderful and funny. Um, We really appreciate it. Thank you so much. It's an honor to be on your podcast, Kate. Gina Moore is a total joy to speak with. She is such a wonderful example of how the very best comedy and satire is actually really intelligent and can be both light and dark at the same time. And how, especially now, If we don't laugh at the absurdity of life, we'll just never stop crying. If you don't follow Gina on social media, and especially TikTok, I highly recommend you do so. She is an absolute delight. I look forward to her future novel, and especially her impending stand-up comedy career that's definitely going to happen, even if she doesn't think so. Thank you again for listening to today's episode. You can subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts from. And you can follow us on social media at Heart of It Podcast.